You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Hey, investors, Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest, fastest-growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Today on our show, we're talking to Ronald Alfonso. If you look up on YouTube, Power of Sale in Toronto, we come up right at the top, and that's because I've already had an interview with Ron, episode 149, where we talked about this rising of power of sales in our market. Well, today I have him back almost a year to the day to give us an update on what has gone on in our market through power of sales. And as we look to the future, where are there maybe some opportunities or risks in our housing market? So if you're somebody who's facing power of sale, please listen to this episode. I think you're going to get some value in understanding how the process works and what you need to do. But if you're an investor like me and you're curious how this is going to circulate in our market, how it's going to affect your real estate prices and maybe offer you an opportunity, you don't want to miss this show. Ronald is a fantastic speaker, very easy to understand, really simplifies what's a very confusing process. So I know you're going to love it. If you could, please hit that like button. Please comment if you have any questions for us and enjoy the show. Ron, how you doing? Very good. How you doing, Bradley? I'm doing fantastic, man. It's been uh, it's been good. I reconnected with you a couple of weeks ago, but this is going to be a really cool update for people who've been following our show for a while and a good intro for folks that are just kind of learning about what is power of sale. But uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about you well, before we get into some of the details of what's going on in our market. Okay. Uh, I'm the uh, principal broker at Mortgage Broker Store. We are a mortgage brokerage and a private lender. We specialize in power of sales, foreclosures, real estate litigation. Our specialty is, you know, stopping powers of sales, foreclosures, and helping people keep their houses. So primarily, we deal with uh, lawyers and homeowners to prevent evictions, keep the house, and um, solve financial situations. Yeah, that's a very humble way to say it, guys. Uh, just a bit of an intro from what I know of Ron. Ron's really good at understanding the legalities of the power of sale. There's a lot of steps, way more than we can cover here. And I know they've got they've prepared videos that you can go and just kind of get some of the rundown. But you can you can watch it a few times and still not understand every detail. But there are details that we can know as investors or as people who are struggling with power of sale that I think are important. And that's what I'm hoping our conversation starts with. And before we start to see where there's maybe some opportunity. So could you, Ron, just, uh, just to start us off, maybe describe what is the power of sale? What does that process very high level look like? Okay. So in Ontario, under the Ontario Mortgages Act, we have two separate legal processes. One is called power of sale. The other one's foreclosure. Uh, a foreclosure means that the lender is taking your house, all the equity, and the homeowner gets nothing. A power of sale is where the uh, lender will take possession of the house, sell it, and if there's any equity left over, the homeowner will receive it. Um, the power of sale process is fairly quick. It can take anywhere from three to six months in most cases. Uh, foreclosure can take longer, anywhere from, you know, four months to a year or longer, depending on what's happening. Um, for most people, or I shouldn't say for most, for everyone, if you are in power of sale or foreclosure, 
please react quickly. Do not delay. The legal process is very expensive. Every delay will cost you thousands, if not tens of thousands. For instance, just a simple, um, what's called a notice of sale. When you receive this one piece of paper, the law firm usually charges you anywhere from a thousand to three thousand dollars. And that's just for one piece of paper. So you really want to be proactive. You want to make sure that if you receive any of these legal documents, you contact, you can contact us at Mortgage Broker Store, or you can contact a lawyer as well. We are not lawyers. Uh, our firm handles uh, this type of situation every day. I'm very well versed in it. I understand it very well. Um, I know most of the ins and outs, but we still use lawyers to complete all the paperwork. Um, I think the most important thing that our firm does is we advise you on how to handle the situation. What are your options and what's the best way to resolve the situation? And sometimes I gotta tell you, there is no resolving the situation. And if that's the case, we're also gonna tell you that. It's each one is individual. Each situation is a different analysis and we work it out from there. Yeah, this, this is good because when we first talked, so for anyone who missed our last episode, please, please go back and listen to it because it was a fantastic conversation. I'll bet you that might've been, if not the highest, it's one of the highest guest podcasts that we've had in our history as a show. It was episode 149. It was called Toronto's Power of Sale and Foreclosures on the Rise. That was recorded last September. And that's really why, I mean, I haven't had many guests come on multiple times, but I was chatting with Ron. And I think that it's good for us to get an update as COVID is kind of coming in its fourth wave, right? We've seen all these things up and down. One of the other things we were talking about when we last connected, Ron, that is this idea for foreclosure and power of sale. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is it in every single case, if you're served with a foreclosure, you have an option of switching to power of sale or is that only specific or certain circumstances? You are correct. So in the case uh, you're served with a statement of claim that says foreclosure on it. So if you receive a statement of claim, read the first page, it should say in bold letters, foreclosure. You have as the homeowner, the option to apply to the courts to have the foreclosure changed to a power of sale. Now, for instance, let's say they served you with a statement of claim foreclosure. You've got a million dollars worth of equity in your house. The lender is trying to take it. If you do not change it, the lender will get the house and the $1 million worth of equity. So we strongly recommend that you do that. And your lawyer should also strongly recommend you do that. What guides a lender to lean towards a foreclosure uh, besides the obvious ability to grab equity? Or is that simply the, the main reason? Does it happen with some smaller lenders more frequently? Or how, does, how do they usually dictate which way we go with this? Okay. The short and sweet answer is they're greedy. Okay. That's, yeah. that's the honest oh, truth. Oh, I thought okay? so. <laughs> that's the honest truth. Um, but then again, okay, let's look at this. From, from a financial and legal perspective, okay? In the case of a foreclosure, they're only doing a foreclosure because there is a lot of equity. A foreclosure will take longer, cost more money, take more resources. If there's only say 50 or $100,000 worth of equity in the property, they are not gonna do a foreclosure because it will cost more than that to complete the process. So they won't do it. They'll go power of sale. 
That's why in Ontario, almost everything you see is a power of sale, uh, not a foreclosure. Now, to your next point, who does foreclosures? Well, the big banks rarely, I got to tell you, I, I don't, I can't recall a situation where the big banks have done a foreclosure. So if you have a, a mortgage with RBC, BMO, whoever, you're probably not going to get a foreclosure statement. You're going to get a, a power of sale. What you have to be aware of would be uh, B lenders, small, uh, what we call mix or mutual investment corporations and certain private lenders and certain I, you know, I hate to say this, but certain lenders, this is what they do, okay? They do aim to take your house. So you really need to be aware of who your lender is and their history, okay? Uh, unfortunately, it's very difficult to find out. Um, one of the things we're going to talk about is the, the system and the games, because obviously as you're, if with the, how comfortable you are, obviously, and how comfortable lawyers are with this process, there would be naturally whole. So we'll talk about that in a bit, but maybe you can give us an update. So back just as a refresh back last year, September, there was a lot of concern, especially rounding into the new year with things like um, the inability to evict. But the moment that that happened, there would be a mass exodus or removal of folks. Now, uh, as also a refresher, one of the things you said was there was going to be, there was going to be a delay because naturally you can't have everyone removed immediately, which should give us some a level of confidence. So I'm curious since last year, obviously we've had since that conversation, there was actually another closure of the inability to evict and it reopened. It was done very quietly, but now we've got the system kind of back to normal in a way. So I'm curious, where do we stand today? Obviously, I'm coming from a level of ignorance, and I want to get from 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 your perspective. Wh where do we go from here? Where, where are we at? Okay, as you stated, we had a uh, moratorium on evictions and on mortgage payments um, last year, and then I believe earlier this year it also happened again, and I think it was lifted March, April, May, something like that. Maybe June, okay, of this year it was lifted. Now, you have to understand there is the, in this process, there is the lender, there's the lawyers, and there's the court system. They're all operating at different speeds and levels. So let's look at it from the lender first. The lender has been told, you know, he can't evict the people. Therefore, they put these uh, mortgages in on hold. They're not technically in default, even though they're not getting paid. Now, that's happened uh, last year. So they, you know, up to maybe March, April of this year, the lenders could not really evict. They could, legally, they were not in a position to, to throw people out. That's one point. Next, from the lender, it would go to their law firm. Their law firms, there's primarily like between three and five big, what we call mortgage enforcement firms in Ontario. These are large legal firms that their primary uh, purpose is mortgage enforcement and eviction of people. Those law firms, because of COVID and because they are mortgage enforcement firms had to lay off a big chunk of their staff. 
Therefore, they scaled down and they scaled down for like a year. Then you had the court systems. Basically, they almost totally shut down for a while. Well, they did shut down for a period of time. They partially opened bit by bit. So that's your, your three main entities or, or groups involved in this. Now, let's look at it from the homeowner's point of view. There was a large, there, let's say the total number of um, defaults and statements of claim in uh, 2019, just before COVID, the standard, let's just, for instance, as an example, let's say it's a thousand per month, okay? When COVID came in March, that thousand stopped every month. So it's been over a year that nobody's been really processed. There have been a few, but not many. I'd say they're operating you know, maybe 20% of their capacity or, or the amount that they should be operating at, okay? So what we've done now is we've built up, or the, the lenders and the lawyers have built up this huge backlog that they're working on. Uh, when we first talked over a year ago, I projected that the backlog would start to, we'd start to see it right about now, starting now and all the way into next year. I got to tell you, so far, we've seen some of it being cleared, but they're still not operating at the same level as pre-COVID. So what that tells me is there's still a delay and the backlog is still being built up. The reason for that, uh, you know, we don't know exactly, but we can see that the court system's not operating at 100%. What percentage did you say they're moving? You said 20%. Is that the, was that where you figure we are? Or are we getting close to? That's a guess. Okay. It's yeah. really hard to say. Um, it could be 40%, but I'm, but I'm, but even still, confident. so the, the majority of them aren't being processed or evicted because Correct. of delays at any of these three levels. Right. Okay. So they're not being processed. Now, just to give you a little, you know, confirmation of that, I went to the Canadian Bankers website just uh, as we were talking here. So the Canadian Bankers Association tracks how many defaults, mortgage defaults, are happening in the major banks. Um, traditionally, you know, 10, 15 years ago, their average default rate was like 0.3%. That was the average, okay? So we're talking out of 100%, 0.3 went to default pretty good actually okay um for the past few years they've been going at okay they, for the past few years because interest rates went so low people could afford their mortgages and the default rate fell to fell to 0.1 percent sure now then we had covid come along okay so the default rate i just looked up now is 0.08 Wow. It's actually the major banks during the worst, one of the worst economic times for mortgages have had their default rate drop to their lowest number recorded. So <laughs> does, does something seem wrong here? Which you is know, funny um, because early COVID, I remember watching, we were, we were tracking it and they were all expecting losses. They were all accounting for these losses. 
to the effect of triple, you know, so they were, so they were expecting it to go the other way. So I guess the question from your perspective is why, why did it go down? Right. Why? Um, I, you know, we're, we're looking at different factors. So one factor is uh, a major factor, government intervention. Um, you know, the mortgage moratorium, big factor. Another big factor was uh, interest rates dropping to, you know, one and a half percent. Right. And the banks were allowing people to refinance a little bit easier. Um, so it meant that people that should have defaulted uh, did not have to. Mind you, that doesn't say they won't default in the future, okay? Uh, they were in trouble to begin with. This is a patch to tide them over. So at this point in time, we're projecting that it will go up. I mean, the banks got off. Their loan loss provisions, as you said, they... they they expected huge losses, they didn't get it. But does that mean all they did was push off the inevitable into the future? You know, and I guess for your, our viewers here, and even for our company, that's a very important question. Where are we at? Where are we going? Okay. Of course, of course. So interesting. So. What, it, what would be a catalyst? Obviously, right now, as you're recording this, we're just kind of coming up to an election. By the time this airs, everyone's going to know who's in charge. But like, when as we round into 2022, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things at stake right now. Um, and I'm curious, what would be? Do we just need to get to a point where we're able to process? Because it sounds as though there's a a strength actually in our market, which is why like. If I were just to take it from an outside perspective, I would argue people are doing good. Like it actually seems like a very good thing, but obviously we have this backpile. So is the fear going into the future, the catching up of this backpile that's sitting there on the books, or is the fear that we're going to have existing homes with things like interest rates going up, uh, impacting, and therefore surprising a lot of Canadians and bumping it up. I'm, I'm curious, what is it that you're paying closest attention to? Okay, well, as you stated right there, there's multiple points and we're, we're looking at all of them, okay? First off, interest rates, okay? We're at historical lows. We're also at the highest mortgage amounts per household yeah. in history. Yeah. Okay? So let's take, let's, you know, let's say this guy's got a million dollar mortgage, okay? He's paying one and a half percent interest rate right now. That means his interest per year is like, what, $15,000 a year or, or $20,000 a year, something like that, okay? Very manageable. If we go anywhere near two and a half to 3%, that becomes 30 and $40,000 a year. Now, now it's getting significant, okay? Um, so the interest rate will be a catalyst for significant worry. Um, in certain cases, it would be devastating. My belief is the government of Canada will not let the interest rates go above two and a half, three percent for the next four or five years, simply because it would wipe out too many homeowners. Yeah. Okay, I agree. So I agree. That's that's that point. But interest rates will go up yeah. if they go up to two, two and a half. It's still a hit, okay? 
Well, one of the conversations, Ron, that I'm hearing right now is there are politi- at the political level, they're talking about forcing banks and lenders to give um, holidays, give just like we saw during COVID. Whether that comes into being in the next couple of years is to, to be seen, but I, I'm curious if that's because of this kind of kicking the can down the road that they're hoping, well, by having this in place, we're going to mitigate the, that jump in arrears. Okay, so that issue is political, in my opinion. Of course. It, yeah. it, it's it's meant to put on a, a showcase for a segment of the population saying, you know, we're working for you and so on, okay? It will play out well in the public, uh, you know, to the public, but to lenders, it's not going to play out so well. Um, so you have the big banks, they're insured by the federal government, meaning me and you are paying if, if they lose money, okay? So the big banks, hey, you want to kick it down federal government or whatever, you're paying for it, okay. True. Then we get to the uh, private uh, uninsured lenders. If you have some situation where you're forcing us to kick it down uh, the road, in general, they won't. There's going to be outs in this legislation of some kind, and they will take it, every single one of them, okay? So putting in some of these uh, guidelines and um, rules to uh, have lenders not, or homeowners not, uh, pay their mortgages, that's not going to happen. You got to remember, the amount of people in default across this country is actually very small. The amount that will be evicted is even smaller. Um, if you start enacting legislation that affects a minuscule number of, uh, or a minuscule population, it's not going to work well. Uh, you know, in what you're really trying to, the politicians are really trying to get to is, how do we lessen the uh, impact on people? How do we make society more equitable? That's really the question. Um, but then how, to balance that, how do we ensure that the lenders who took a risk on this property are not getting wiped out? Because if they do, if a few of them get hurt financially, they're going to stop lending. And the government doesn't want that. So there's a real trade-off. And I think politicians are going to tread very carefully in that area. Where I I think think we've gotten really lucky is with dropping interest rate also came price appreciation, which allowed them opportunities to get additional financing to cover, buy people some time. If we had a scenario where I think you started to treat a lenders versus private lenders differently, where the private lenders are the ones that'll come in and kick you, kick you to the curb. I mean, we do know when you sign a mortgage with a, with a bank, if you're, if there's issues, they can pass those off, right? Like those are, those can be bought in a sense, move from one lender to another. And it makes me wonder if that's the maneuver we, I know you're familiar with the industry and I'm sure you're seeing that often, but one of the things that I, where I want to dig in here for a second is this understanding that things are backlog, right? I'm not going to pay my mortgage. There's going to be a delay. Well, that sounds good for me as someone who's familiar, I'm going to get a letter from the bank, no big deal. So I'm curious for people who are experts or familiar in this, is there a world where I could purchase a property in a climbing equity market, not make payments 
from pretty much day one for three months, put in a further delays and really buy myself six plus 12 months with solid equity, which I know I can lock in through a power of sale. And then, um, you know, I'm, I'm out of nothing. I'm out of nothing. I'm curious. Do you see that? And I know you're laughing because you do. And I'm curious. It's really creative, really creative. <laughs> yes. But, the, okay. but we is, have the perfect storm that allows for that. So I'm curious. Is it possible to do that? So is it possible to buy a house, put very little down, make no payments, let, for, let the house appreciate in value, resell it and make a bunch of money? The answer is actually yes. That's okay, terrifying. You actually can do that. <laughs> yeah, that's terrifying. Um, uh, it, it takes a person that has significant knowledge in the legal process, such as myself, um, you, you have to have a lot of confidence in the property appreciating. True. Okay. Or here's a situation that could work. You're buying a property. You got no money. You buy this property um, and you own it. But let's say the property is worth a million dollars. You bought it for half a million. You cleaned it up. You paid nobody anything. And then you sell it in the future for the million dollars. Yeah. It's a guaranteed deal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes, they took you to court. Yes, they they threatened you. Yes, they did all these things. But if you know the timing and the legal process, you can do that. Wow. I mean, I've never done it. Um, I don't I don't particularly know too many. I, I know of some it's situations. It's a bold move. That it's somebody that won't last long with a small circle of people in that environment. But it's funny for all these calls of we're not getting paid from our tenant, the tenants taking advantage of us and the system being skewed to benefit the tenant. In a lot of ways, though, not as well understood, we see that in the lending and the lender perspective where they're able to take advantage, especially if it's a, I would think if it's a small lender that's maybe poorly informed by lawyers that can't protect themselves and it doesn't realize they're being gamed. I mean, in a lot of ways, it, it's, there is some, it's some similarities there. Yeah. Um, you know, from a, you're referring to a, uh, a person that owns a property and has tenants. Okay. And if you're just a single person that just has one property and you're depending on the rental income from it, uh, it can get pretty tight, especially if that tenant knows how to use the landlord tenant board. Um, there are some professionals out there, uh, you know, we recommend do your checks on any tenant that comes into your property, check them out property, you know, just don't let anybody in, okay? Um, but from the uh, landlord's point of view, um, they want to be proactive if the tenant's not paying them or if they feel the tenant's going to gain them. They should start the uh, eviction process right away uh, yeah. with the landlord tenant board. So all in all, I mean, obviously there's natural holes that form uh, for people that want to do illegal things. There's things that you can, you can jump through those hoops. But all in all, it's nice to hear that there's at least a little bit of a support there for the moment. It'd be interesting and um, maybe we'll get an update from you in the future on what what changes and are things going to are things going to go back or worse? I think the concern is that it would go worse than pre-COVID. Um, but yeah, this has been a really, a really good chat. I appreciate you taking the time. And I again yeah, I let, let me anyone... just let me just interject one thing here. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so we've got we've got a situation where the backlog must happen. OK, 
Okay. So here's what we're looking for in the future. Is are the backlog of powers of sales and foreclosures going to increase back to the normal level? There's one factor. Next, are house prices not appreciating any further? I'm not saying they're gonna go down. I'm just saying they're not gonna go up, okay? The, most people are borrowing, as the house prices go up, they're borrowing more equity to keep the houses. Therefore, if it doesn't increase, there's no more borrowing. Next, interest rate. If that goes up, there's a problem. So you can pretty well count on looking at the interest rate and the house appreciation. We know the backlog is going to be coming through of defaults. If you see houses not increasing in price and interest rate goes up, you know there's going to be a lot more powers of sales and foreclosures and they're being processed. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I can see that. I can totally see that. Ron, where can folks find you if they've got some, you know, if they want to reach out? The other thing that I think is important, and I hope some listeners get out of this, I know there's some people jump in because they are being faced with a power of sale and faced with foreclosures. Those are often the ones that reach out to us from our last, our last episode. And I'm expecting that to be the case here too. Guys, I highly encourage you to reach out to Ron. I know what his team is capable of doing, and he's really fighting for you and your home. Um, that's why I love having you on, but, uh, where, where can people find you and, and your team? Um, you can go to our website, mortgagebrokerstore.com. You can uh, read all the information. We're also on YouTube, uh, or you can call us directly at 416-499-2122. You can ask for myself or Jonathan. Um, we also provide free advice. We're not lawyers. We're giving you the options so that you can understand your situation and you can make your decisions. Uh, I'll tell you, here's, here's an important point that we've noticed over a period of time. Lawyers are very intimidating. They can push you around. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. They scare people in general. Um, I deal with them on a daily basis. I'm not too intimidated. Uh, we understand the process very well. And we can pretty well explain to you your situation as long as we get the documentation, the proper information. So if you have a problem, call us, go to our website, mortgagebrokerstore.com. There's tremendous amount of information on our website. We show you what the statement of claim looks like. We show you what the, uh, a writ looks like, an eviction notice. You can read and see and compare what you've got to what we're showing you on the website. Um, it's important that you, if you get these papers, take a look because we're showing you what should be on it. And if it's not, then maybe it's not a real eviction notice or a real statement of claim. Okay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Guys, along the way, if you have any comments or any questions, you can put them down below as well. We'll keep an eye on that. But uh, Ron, it's been a really good chat. I appreciate you taking the time. We'll see you again next time. Thank you. Nice talking to you, Bradley.